Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. I'm so, so excited to be here today, brothers and sisters. And you know, with that prayer to open it up, we can feel the Holy Spirit. And even that Holy Spirit was there. You know, I love when we have a chat before the message itself. But just like, you know, the music, the worship song before the church, it opened up our heart. I could feel the Holy Spirit in all whatever we shared when we meet early in the morning. And now with that prayer from Pastor Ingrid, our hearts are kind of ready to receive. And we're going to keep asking the Holy Spirit to take care of what's going to happen within the next hour. And then let's start with the memory verse, Ephesians 1, 17 to 21. That the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope in which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, raised him from the dead in the heavenly places, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above all name to be named, not only on this age, but on the one to come. Let me share the screen with you, brothers and sisters. I have a PowerPoint I would like to show to you. And then the first verse of Deuteronomy 16 talked about the month of Abib. I said, what is going on? What is Abib? I had no clue. But you know, brothers and sisters, the Jews, they have two calendars. One is called a civic calendar, and one is a religious calendar. And then they have the way to look at their month. It's from the lunar calendar. I had no clue about that. And us, we have what we call a solar calendar. The solar calendar we used to have for many years was from Julius Caesar. But there was a more accurate calendar with Pope Gregory at 1582 after Christ. Then we are on the solar calendar, one we call our Easter time. And the Jews still use an old calendar. It's called, you know, the moon goes around 29.5 days. Then the Jews used month of 29 days and 30 days. And us, we have a leap year every four years. And the month of Abib is related to the exile from Egypt. But, you know, 
Israel was captive for 70 years in Babylon. Then the Jews, they took the name of Abib, changed it to Nisan. Then when you talk to a Jew, they might use the word month of Abib related to Egypt or the month of Nisan related to the exile from Babylon. And then this is where their Passover date should be on the 14th day of the first month. That will be March and April for us. But us, our Eastern date is after the first Pascal moon. That will be the first Sunday after that. Now, today's teaching will be in regards of seven festivals. But you know, Moses is talking in Deuteronomy 16 about three, where all the males needed to attend, including Jesus. Even if Jesus was a pure lamb sacrifice, he lived his life by attending those feasts. And we have four feasts on the springtime, and seven months later, we have three more feasts. But if you take the city calendar, their first month is the one of September and October. But for the religious calendar, that will be seven months later. Then the first feast that we're talking about is the Feast of Passover, followed by the unleavened bread and the first fruits. And 50 days later, we have Pentecost. And that's what we have on the spring and summer season. Then now we go seven months later, we have the three feasts of trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles, also called Feast of Booth. And, you know, Pastor Terry did a fantastic job when he presented Leviticus 23. I do encourage you to go back and listen to what he said. You know, that gave to Israel a unique calendar of feast festivities to help the people to remember. This is crucial. And you see on the right-hand side, I've put Bible verses and the three crosses where you see the three that we're going to tackle today. Passover, the Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And we can see that Jesus fulfilled everything. As the Jesus, the Jewish people followed this calendar year by year. They had every reason for a great celebration because of the Lord's mercies to their ancestors and to teach them. We should give thanks and rejoice that we have Jesus as our Savior who paid the price for our salvation. This calendar also belongs to us today. It illustrates what Christ has done for his church and what he will do when he comes again. Like I've said, three main feasts we're going to celebrate, but let's talk a little bit about the seven feasts. Passover for the Jewish is on the 14th day of the first month and commemorated God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Following feast, unleavened bread is on the following day after Passover for one week. The feast commemorated Israel's early departure from Egypt and the association with hardship. Almost all processed food are eliminated from the Jewish homes about two weeks in advance, and they have no right to keep that food. They must get rid of it all. Don't be used after the feast. The Feast of First Fruits. It is a festival dedicated to the first part of the barley harvest and was celebrated on the day after the Sabbath or unlimited bread week. 
It involved presenting to the Lord a sheaf of barley accompanied by burnt grain and drink offering. It symbolized the consecration of the whole harvest to God and was a pledge of the whole harvest to come. It teaches us a crucial lesson about humility and remembering to thank our God for the good gifts he gives. Jesus became what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now we go 50 days later. Pentecost means 50. When the Israelites dedicated the first fruits of the wheat harvest or on the seventh Sunday or 50 days after Easter Sunday, it celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and followers of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, according to Acts 2, 1 to 31. Now we move seven months later and we have the first feast on the first day of the seventh month of the religious calendar. It symbolized the rapture. What Jesus did and will do at salvation time, taking away his church before judgment. The day of atonement is on a 10-day Yom Kippur. It is a day of repentance considered to be the holiest and most solemn day of the year. It takes place on the 10th day of the seventh month, and it is always occurring between September 14 and October 14 of our calendar and pointed to the forgiveness and cleaning of sin for the priest, the nation, and the tabernacle. Finally, the last feast, the Feast of Tabernacle, also called the Feast of Booth. It's from the 15th to the 21st day of that seven month. It commemorated God's deliverance, protection, and provision during the wilderness wanderings of the Exodus. The people lived in Booth or Atz, remembering their wilderness experience it also celebrated the autumn harvest and will be celebrated at Millennium. Now, let's tackle 16, Deuteronomy 16. Verse 1 to 8 is talking about Passover. At the first Passover in Egypt, God killed all the firstborn in the land. Both humans and animals, except those Jews who were in the houses and protected by the blood on their doorposts of the lamb. From that time on, God claimed for himself all the firstborn sons and animals in Israel, and they all had to be redeemed with a sacrifice. The New Testament interpretation and application of Passover identifies the lamb with Jesus. The lamb of God who gave his life for the sins of the world. The blood shed by many lambs in Egypt delivered a nation on that first Passover night. But the blood of one lamb, Jesus, nailed on the cross, will deliver from judgment for eternity any lost sinner who will trust in him. The blood of the many Jewish sacrifices could cover sin, but never take it away, which explains why these sacrifices were repeated. But the blood of Christ has settled the matter of salvation once and for all. In Hebrews 10, 1 to 18. It was not the life of the lamb that saved Israel from bondage, but the death of the lamb and the application of the blood by faith on the doorposts, just like Jesus the perfect lamb did for us with his resurrection from the dead. The feast of unleavened bread in the verse three, four, eight, Passover and lasted for one week. At the first Passover, the Jews did not have time for the bread dough to rise. 
Then they ate unleavened bread with the roasted lamb and the bitter herbs. In scripture, yeast often symbolizes evil because yeast is a small substance that rapidly grows and infects all the dough. Just like sins to the old life, such as malice and weaknesses and hypocrisy, it also represents unbelief, compromise, and false doctrine. The nation of Israel was not rescued from Egypt by cleaning the houses and getting rid of East. They were delivered by the power of God because of the blood that had been sprinkled on the doorposts of their houses. Sinners are not redeemed by getting rid of their bad habits and cleaning up their lives, but by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them on the cross. One of the characteristics of a true child of God is a changed life, getting rid of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Passover was Independence Day for the nation of Israel. For on that night, the Lord not only gave them freedom from slavery, but also demonstrated his great power over the gods and armies in Egypt. Israel celebrated Passover a year later at Sinai, but after their rebellion at Kardesh Barnea, the nation did not celebrate Passover again until the new generation had entered the promised land 40 years later. Once they were settled in the land, the men had to obey the command to go to the sanctuary to observe the Passover, and they could take their families with them. Parents were instructed to use the occasion of Passover to instruct their children about Israel's deliverance from Egypt. The Jews ate the Passover feast as families, and each local church is a family of God. Feasting on Jesus Christ through the word, like we're doing, and waiting for him to call his people out of this world. Like Israel, we must remind ourselves that we were once slaves to sin, in bondage to the world, and God delivered us by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sins. When we observe the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, we remember his death and look forward for his return. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, Paul compared the life of the local church to keeping the feast of Passover. The church does not keep the feast literally because it has been fulfilled in Christ, our Passover lamb, who was sacrificed for us. But like the Jews on Passover night in Egypt, we are pilgrim people, ready to be called out, and we must not be despotted by sin. Now, we're going to look at the Feast of Pentecost and Tabernacles. The feast was celebrated 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruit. For the Jews, it was a joyful time of celebrating the wheat harvest. But for the Christian, it commemorates the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. You could read Acts 2. Jesus promised that he and the Father God would send the Holy Spirit to the believers. But the Holy Spirit could not come until first Jesus died, raised from the dead, and glorified in heaven. The Feast of Pentecost happens in the harvest season, and the Jews were commanded to share what they had and feast joyfully before the Lord. When the Holy Spirit came on upon the believers at Pentecost, 
it was the beginning of a great harvest season for the church. Peter's message at Pentecost brought 3,000 people to Christ. And shortly after that, his ministry added 2,000 more. You could read Acts 4, 4. The growth of the early church was due to the presence of the Holy Spirit with the apostles to share the gospel to everyone. Many churches today depend on all their entertainment, bunnies, chocolate, music, but they forget about empowering that congregation, congregation of the presence of Christ in all what they do. The Feast of Tabernacles, like the Feast of Unlimited Bread, the feast lasted seven days. It took place in autumn, our September and October month, and was also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Booth. It celebrated the completion of the harvest that had begun with the Feast of First Fruit continued with our best at Pentecost. During, during the feast of the Jewish people lived in booth made in three branches, a reminder of the years their ancestors lived in temporary dwellings as they wandered in the wilderness. God wanted them to remember that life had not always been easy. Their ancestors lived in tents and booth after they left Egypt. The first feast of the Jewish calendar is Passover. Reminded also in the last feast of the year, the Feast of Tabernacle. Why? It's to help the Israelites to remember the past and not to take for granted what the Lord has done for Israel. As God's people, you and I, we have many reasons to celebrate the greatness and the goodness of our Lord Jesus. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ with the Passover. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we are generously supported by the Lord in our pilgrim journey to Tabernacles. Now, we're going to finish the chapter 16 by looking at what Moses has to say about justice and the forbidden forms of worship. But we will also look at the forbidden form of worship in the first seven verses of Deuteronomy 17. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates. God knew the importance of just judges and officials to a nation. Therefore, God commanded that they shall not pervert justice, nor show partiality, nor take a bribe. Instead, they were to follow what is altogether just. A judge has the responsibility to do justice. And we all know what happened to more to Samson after his 20 years as a judge. The forbidden form of worship, this is crucial in our studies today. We talk about it at the end of chapter 16 and also beginning of chapter 17. You know, come, God commands, you shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar. Such sacred potents were common among the Canaanites. We all remember what Pastor Paul told us a few days ago. You know, when he was talking about the goddess Asherah and his son Baal, and we all know what Elijah did against the 400 false prophets, gods of Baal. <clears throat> and you know what he said? You see, when you enter the land of Canaan, you must destroy all males, all female, all children, all whatever they have with idols. And today, I brought a beautiful armor from Home Depot. And why? Because, you know, in that time, they had idols 
of sex. And what he did, they put their sex idols right beside the worship place for the believers. And then the weak believers, like today, were tempted. And while they were worshiping God, they had those things beside it. And what Pastor Paul said, exactly what the Bible is teaching us, is to destroy those idols. And as much as the art of the believers at that time was affected by the idols, as much today, the tablet, the phone, the laptops that you're using today to participate to this participation also as what we call bad things in the world coming to your house, to your heart. And what it says in the Bible, it's clear. You must take a hammer and smash. Yes, if your laptop is bringing bad things to you, take that hammer and break it apart. You know, this is crucial. But you know, with the New Testament, Jesus is telling us what Brother Darrell said yesterday. Brother Darrell said something so crucial. He said, We are the hammering of the Old Testament, and we have the tender love of Jesus with the New Testament. How do we manage with destroying this and going this? This is exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians. He said, We have hope. And the only way we can get wisdom from the Lord if we smash the idols that we have coming to us. When it says in Deuteronomy 6, 5, to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If you have an idol coming to you, what happened? Your strength goes at zero. You do not have any connection with Jesus and with God. Then when you're facing someone, you don't have that shining face of Moses because you didn't break the idol that is holding under you. You're going to put the layer of our strong teaching today, tomorrow, the next day, but you still have that dirt hiding deep in your heart. You must decide with discipline to take that armor and to break it. This is a crucial decision, to break it. Then now you come to the Lord and the Lord will tell you. This is exactly what the apostle is telling us. The apostle Paul is saying, destroy your idols with the armor. But don't leave it like that. You're going to be empty. Take the word. What is being taught in that word, in that book, and share it. This is exactly what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. What Sister Barb shared with all of us yesterday is so crucial. She said, I saw the shining face of my husband. Me too. I recovered the shining face of Andre, brother Andre, when I repented. Then I'm walking with the shining face with the husband of Sister Barb. We're both walking side by side with whom? With someone we have no clue about. And that was Jesus all the way along on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus took the bread, he said thanks to the Lord. And then what he did after that, he broke it. And he gave a peace to me. He gave a peace to the husband of Sister Barb. And what happened? This is Jesus. I had no clue it was Jesus. This is exactly what we're doing, brothers and sisters. 
This morning we have a teaching, but we shouldn't keep it here because we're sharing the bread of the word. And when we get out from here, we must come to the world who has no clue what we're talking about. And we must have that shiny face to come and share with them what is so important is the word of God. And to get the smiling face of the husband of Sister Barb and my shining face and your shining face. But if you do not destroy your idols first, you will not be an ambassador of Christ the way you should be and the way I should be. Now, <clears throat> on Deuteronomy 17, 1 to 7, we talk a tiny bit more about the forbidden bush. But let's look at some Bible verses about it. <clears throat> Romans 1.25, <clears throat> it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. How many times you see <clears throat> my own dad was saying he was, he liked science. My own dad said, you see God in the tree. You see God in the sun. This is exactly what God doesn't want us to do. God wants us to worship him not the creation. Ephesians 5.5 5 says, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, as any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Now, let's go see what the apostle is saying in Corinthians 6.9.10. And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The members of that church had once been idolaters. They had worshipped false god, bowed the knee to idols. Yet Paul could say this was in their past. They had learned what all of us must learn. Christ died for idolaters. There's forgiveness of idolaters if only we worship God the Father through Christ Jesus, his son. We soon learn it is not enough to destroy an idol. We must replace it. We must replace our worship of false gods with worship of the true God. This is what those Corinthian Christians had done. They had encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had put their faith in him. They had received his forgiveness. They had been indwelled by his spirit. God offers that very same oath for you and me. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You could read 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Flee from idolatry by fleeing to Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to go to the next section about the judges. You know, Moses continues to prepare the new generation for life in the promised land. He not only instructed them about their past history and their obligation in worship, but he also explained to them the kind of government God wanted them to organize. While in the wilderness, Moses managed the affairs of Israel with officers who assisted him in solving the problems of the people. Each tribe had a leader, and Moses had 70 elders to assist him in spiritual oversight of the nation. It was sufficient for their nomadic life, but not for the promised land, 
And also Moses would not be there. Well, we all know Moses was at transfiguration with Elijah and Jesus. Then he went to the promised land at a later time. The most important thing about the judges and officers was that they be men of character. Because only just men could honestly execute just judgment. The judges were not to twist the law and distort justice. But we all know, we all know, unfortunately, this is not what happened. During the years that preceded the fall of Israel and Judah, the courts became corrupt and allowed the rich to rob the poor and needy. And the wealthy soon owned great estates and controlled the economy. God could not permit such flagrant disobedience to his law. He punished his people severely by sending them in captivity in Babylon for seven years. Now, we're going to finish the study of Deuteronomy 17 by looking at the king. And we know who is the king of kings. God knew that the day would come when Israel would ask for a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. The spirituality of the Levites, judges, and kings needed the righteousness of God to separate Israel from the other nations. The spiritual unity of the 12 tribes deteriorated greatly. And instead of trusting God, Israel wanted a king to build an army. You know, Saul was there. The most important qualification for the king was a personal knowledge of the law of God, to read it regularly and to take it to art. Joshua 1.8. The king's submission to God and his law would keep him from getting proud and abusing the authority the Lord had given him. For him to think that he was better than his people and privileged to live about God's law would indicate that he was not fit to lead the nation. We're talking again about Saul. The study of the law by the king would not only help him to rule the people justly, but it would also reveal to him the character of God and encourage him to fear him and love him more. We could read what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4. Imitating the world instead of trusting God had always been the great temptation of God's people, and each time they succumbed and they suffered. The church, yes, the church, is also guilty of imitating the world instead of God. We only got to look at the United Church, you know, at their leadership, they have gays and lesbians. Hmm. The political world leaders are also guilty of imitating the world instead of God. You know, there's no restrictions wherever of pornography. We encourage transgenders, we encourage abortion. Have your sex the way you want, any way you want, anytime you want, and we're going to have abortion. Hmm. The king was not to be elected by the people. He was to be chosen by God. Israel's first king was Saul, a prideful art that we see into ourselves is the gift provided by the devil. And you know, Jesus declined the devil's offer, all the richness of this world. He said, I will only worship my God. And there's no better way to finish this presentation with the King of Kings prayer. Matthew 6, 9, 13. Pray day then like this, our fathers in heaven. 
hallowed be thy name, the kingdom not come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our deliberate and forgive us our debt. And we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation. But then for us, deliver us from evil. I have three questions for you to ponder for the day. What significance are those three Jewish festivals feasts for you? Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Is God currently chastening the world leaders and their societies for worshiping idols? And last question, should we all, me included, repent individually and collectively for not worshiping God before it is too late for salvation? Thank you for joining us today. A heartstrong disciple of Jesus is one who has been saved by grace and is becoming more like Jesus by abiding in him, learning how Jesus lived, and following in his ways. One of the ways we are helping you become heartstrong is through the monthly training plan, which breaks down how you can practice and develop your spiritual disciplines. Each month, you will find the theme and the focus for the month, a scripture to memorize, a fasting and a Sabbath practice, all of your Bible study, events and schedules and links, questions for personal reflection, and additional recommended content for the weekend. Of course, you have to be a HeartStrong member to access this awesome resource. So visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together. One, two,